Hi, this is Corbin Madden welcoming you to Words of Truth. This morning, <laughs> First Timothy chapter 3, I think my dad, my dad was here, uh, what was it, over a month ago? We were here over a month ago and we were still in <laughs> First Timothy chapter 3. <laughs> Yeah. Praise the Lord. We're at the last part of this chapter, right? Uh, we're going to close out 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've been doing this study for several months now, but I think it's been a blessing. What a gift that this uh, book has been in my life. I pray that it spoke to you as well. Last week we got to talk about the wives of the deacons. Uh, that was a, a little bit of a harder message to preach, and I'm sure it was a harder message to hear than than my typical sermon, uh, but I appreciate you guys uh, bearing with me in that. I hope that's not the reason why uh, the church is a little bit more empty this morning, uh, but if it is, well, I said what God said to say, and that's the way it goes. Um, but we're blessed to be able to read the Word of God, and I and I. I pray that I'm faithfully teaching it. I, I do my best to diligently study and to rightly divide the word of truth and that I'm teaching proper doctrine. I don't take that lightly. Uh, and we pray for, uh, for, for the deacons, Lord, and we pray for the ones who are, who are called to the ministry. This is a worthy calling. Those who have their ministry and the lay people, the everyday Christian, uh, we are all called to, to live in this standard of life. We've talked about several different things. Uh, to be the husband of one wife, be faithful. Not just faithful in your, in your uh, secular marriage. We call it secular even though it's not. Uh, to be faithful in your marriage with your wife or your husband, be faithful. We, we call, God calls us to be faithful to Him. As the bride of Christ, be faithful to Him. Don't, don't waste your time flirting with the world. Stand in truth and be faithful to God. He will never fail you. He is faithful. Let us be faithful as well to Him. And ruling, We talked about ruling their own household well. The deacon must rule his own household well. We talked about ruling is not like a dictatorship. But it's a partnership with your spouse to, to, to love and nurture the truth among your children. We talked about that. Um, <clears throat> we talked about several different things. I'm not going to bore you guys with going back into it for the thousandth time. Uh, but I, I encourage you to read this and try and apply these concepts to your life. What a gift that we have the Word of God and what the expectations are for leaders in our community, the leaders in our churches, what the expectations are. And they're so clearly outlined. I pray that you would, uh, I encourage you to read and to study these things if you haven't already. So let's go ahead and read from verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 3 on down through verse 16. <clears throat> All right, Paul, the Lord says through Paul, even so, we read this last week, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, 
or gossips, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak to us. Empty me, Lord, of anything that I have of myself and just let you shine today. God, I pray that you would speak to your people today. Feed your sheep. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. So first and foremost, I want to inform you guys. You are the house of God. He talks about here, these things I write to you, hoping to come to you shortly. He's, he's giving these instructions to Timothy so that they know how to act. And what a gift this is that we have this letter available to us today. From the words of Paul and God himself, this is the way the church is to act. This is the standard by which God measures a successful church. Notice he didn't say anything about how full the pews are. He talked about a faithfulness to the truth, the mystery of godliness. We talked about this word mystery. He talks about mystery twice now in this chapter. A mystery is not something that we hide and keep to ourselves. A mystery is something that we reveal to those that we come in contact with. It doesn't make any sense to those on the outside. So our goal is to make this mystery revealed to them. This is how we are to behave. And what he says here is behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Now, I don't know if you guys put two and two together, but at this time, they didn't have buildings in the way that we have our buildings. When we, when we say we're going to church, we, we usually mean what that implies is that we're going to a building, usually with pews. Some churches nowadays have chairs. We're going to a place of worship, a temple, <clears throat> one might say. But at this time, there were many house churches. So when he said the house of God, he wasn't necessarily referring to the building that they were in. He wasn't necessarily referring to a separate space in which these people were meeting. He was referring to, this is how you're to behave among the people of God. Because my friends, I've already said it once, you are the church. You are his church. The word we get 
The word we translate from the Greek as church is the word called ekklesia, which literally translates called out ones. So the church is the people, not the building. I'm glad that this word church, and I'm glad that the church of Jesus Christ is not reduced to one building. I'm grateful that this church that Christ has called apart and set apart for himself is not uh, not just simply one denomination. Praise the Lord. And we're not the only ones that are going. Thank the Lord. I know some Catholic Christians. I know some Pentecostal Christians. I know some all across. We can mention hundreds of different denominations across the board. We're on the same team. As long as you are preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and rose again on the third day, you're my brother or my sister. I pray that that's the truth. We're going to talk a little bit about this. He talks about it in this passage as well, what the gospel is, what the truth is that we're supposed to be sharing. And if you share this truth, if you teach this truth, if you live this truth, you're a brother or a sister in Christ to me. The pillar of ground and truth. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be this. And I am encouraging you guys, my congregation, to be this. In this world we are living in, we're wishy-washy. I don't think you have to look very far to find that truth. You find people that'll be one thing around a different group of people, and then the next thing they know, next thing you know, you find them in another crowd of people, and they're completely different. They don't even know who they are. And you ask somebody something very simple. I watched a documentary. I might get in trouble for this. Who knows? Watched a documentary, not among these people, uh, called "What Is a Woman." And it was literally this guy going around asking this question, what is a woman? And you, you couldn't believe the answers that he got. They don't know. Don't even know what a woman is anymore. You don't even know what a man is anymore. I'm telling you guys, we're in a weird time. We don't know what we are. We don't even know what a human is, it seems like. We don't know what we're doing with our lives. Where are you going in five years? I have no idea. Anywhere but here, right? That's what they say. Anywhere but here. All I know is I want to move. <laughs> Much less talking about a five-year plan. We don't have those anymore. And the church, my friends, is not walking in the truth. We talked about some statistics quite a while back that were baffling to me. And I, I'm forgetting the numbers off the top of my head. But more than half of people that claimed to be Christians didn't believe in truth. They didn't believe that truth was objective. And obviously, if you don't believe in objective truth, the controversy must be true that you believe in subjective truth. In other words, what the majority of Christians today or the majority of, of self-proclaimed Christians today would say the truth is 
What's true for you might be true for you, but it doesn't mean it's true for me. That's a bunch of hogwash. I believe that truth is objective. Jesus himself said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. My friends, I want to encourage you to do what Paul encouraged Timothy to do. Be a pillar. Now you go over there in this, in this, uh, in this landscape that we're talking about here. You go out to, to Rome or to Greece. And what do you see? Even when the buildings have fallen down, the pillars are still there. The pillars are strong. And they're secure. And this is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to be. Stand firm. Be rooted. Grounded. When everything else falls around you, you stand firm on the truth of God. Do it. My brothers and sisters, I encourage you to be pillars in your community of truth. Be a pillar where you work and stand firm. Don't be swayed by the things of this world or every wind of doctrine. Root yourself in the word of God. And you will not be easily swayed by the temptations of the devil. Paul encourages Timothy to walk in truth. I put here in my notes, I said, Paul encourages us to be pillars of truth, but oftentimes what we end up being is empty stumps of lies. What we find around us. I don't think uh, I don't think it's a foreign concept for you guys to see a tree that's fallen down. When you clear that tree, what's left is a hole of emptiness. You can tell, unless it's got more dirt poured into it again, that that was a tree one time. My friends, be strong and courageous. Stand firm on the truth, rooted in righteousness, and you will not be easily moved. Live a life with this understanding. If this is the only thing you get out of the sermon, I pray that you hold on to it. Root yourself in the word of God, and you will not be moved very easily. Let God be the one that changes the direction of your life. Don't be swayed by people and their opinions of you. Let God tell you what to do. It'll change your life. I promise you. When we talk about Jesus being the Lord of your life, that's what we're saying. You're saying, Lord, okay, I'm going to hold on to what you tell me to do. And how do you know, Corbin, what to do? Well, you study his word. To show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Dive into this word of God that we have so readily available to us. You can buy it for $10 at Walmart. It used to be five. It used to be less than that, I'd say. Our good friends, the Gideons, would gladly give you one for free if you like. I've got connections. 
if you need something like that, then let me know. I'll get you one. I've got four or five of them in my office right now I can give to you. Hold fast to this truth. And proclaim, second point, the mystery of godliness to the world. Now we talked about this enough. I don't want to beat a dead horse. But we are, our job as Christians, as born again Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ, and as pillars of the community. Man, do you guys remember a day when the church was the pillar of the community? Somewhere along the lines, we must have dropped the ball. This mystery of godliness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God was made manifest in the flesh. Some might say revealed in flesh. Other might say robed in the flesh. Hebrews says that he, the spirit of God dwelt within him bodily. in a way that no other man has ever been. God in the flesh. He took, God took on flesh and the manifestation of his word, his son. And he suffered. And in every manner of way, he was tempted as we were. He went through trials. He suffered loneliness. He suffered pain. He skinned his knees as a little boy. He didn't have a water hose to drink out of, but I'm sure if he did, he would have drank out of the water hose. He grew up. And the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and in stature. He was a little boy. He experienced life as we know it. He humbled himself and did not count it robbery to be equal with God. The first step of the gospel is to understand that God humbled himself and came down to become one of us. What a gift that is. Second, he was justified in the spirit. Now, what in the world does that mean? How can the perfect one be justified? This word justification that is mentioned here is the process by which one becomes holy. Now, how can a perfect being be justified? Well, I think we're using the wrong version of that word. He was shown worthy. In the spirit. Now, what do we mean by that? Do you remember the story of the time where Jesus began his ministry? When he was baptized, he was justified in the spirit. He was revealed to be worthy by the Holy Spirit coming down. John baptized him and he came up, and the spirit came down upon him like a dove, not a literal dove, but he dwelled on him like a dove. 
We don't know what form he took. It may, I mean, if it was a dove, then I don't really care what he looked like. He came on him. The Spirit of God came on him, and the Father declared from the heavens, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was justified in the Spirit. This is justified. He was justified to do what he was called to do. He was equipped. And he was worthy. He was shown worthy to do what he was called to do. And in other words, he was revealed for who he was and is. The word of God. He was seen of angels. Now, when I was a little kid, <clears throat> I was super into skateboarding. I skateboarded all the time. I was just a sporty kid. I loved sports. I played soccer, baseball, football, anything that involved movement. I did it. I jumped off the house a few times. Broke my arm three or four times. I was a little boy. That's what I did. We just ran around. And if it involved hitting somebody, I was all there. We played played sports. We used to skateboard quite a bit. And I remember uh, there was a guy that I skated with. He taught me this thing. It was a it was a gospel presentation. And I wish I had thought to to let Erica put it on the screen. But it amounts to there was an arrow pointing down, and then you have a cross. And then you have a grave, and then an arrow pointing up, and then you have another empty arrow, a hollow arrow, pointing down. Now, can anybody take a wild guess of what that is? Yep. Teresa got it. Jesus descended into the world. He hung upon a cross for our sins, a perfect man, taking the debt that we owed. And paying it. He was buried for three days. And he rose again on the third day. And he's coming back for his children. What a gift. What a gift that is. Isn't that great? So here's what we're preaching. This is that passage right there. This verse right here, verse 16. If you want to have a one verse evangelism, go share this with somebody you know. This is the gospel. This is the truth. This is the mystery of godliness. <clears throat> God was manifest in the flesh. He descended, became a man. He was justified in the spirit. And we just talked about that was being made, shown worthy. Not being made worthy, but shown worthy. He was seen of angels. He dwelled in heaven and he ascended down to us. And then guess what? He rose again and ascended into heaven again. He's the only one in history, we find in John chapter 3, that has descended. Only the Son of God can do that. He can descend from heaven and then come back as he pleases. Only God has that kind of authority to do whatever he wishes. He can create things. We talked about the, the five loaves and the little five sardines this morning or five five loaves and the two sardines for those of you who don't get that you weren't there for Sunday school I'm sorry 
the fish that we're referring to in the passage was more like sardines. They weren't, it wasn't a big meal, in other words, that he feed, fed the 5,000 men with. And had 12 baskets left over. What a miracle. God can create whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And he can do whatever he wants. He's got power, true power. He was preached to the Gentiles. Now, now to the audience of a Jew, that would mean a lot more to us Gentiles than to us Gentiles who were being preached to. Those who weren't a Jewish people or who weren't raised Jewish wouldn't look at that as being very significant. Oh, I preached it to the Gentiles. Good. That's me, right? To a Jew... That's an unfathomable thing. We talked about in Acts quite a while back about Peter and the vision that he had with the sheet coming down and it was filled with all manner of living creatures and God told him, eat. And he said, I have never touched an unclean thing, God. Never. And he did this three times. He had the same vision three times and Peter never ate. And God, what was his response? He said, don't call what I have made clean, clean, unclean. In other words, if God says, do it, you better do it, whether you like it or not. Peter wasn't too keen on the Gentile people. As the Jews, they were the chosen people of God. So to preach this gospel to the Gentiles is something that didn't, didn't quite make sense. Well, God, you chose the Jews. Why would we preach to the Gentiles? Well, because I said so. How about that? Well, as we, as we, we who, who, who have hindsight, which is 2020, we understand that the Jews had the wrong idea in the law they were they were being a slave to the law and they were they were obeying the letter of the law but their heart wasn't in it and we hear the parable that Jesus told of the of the rich man who was having a party and a marriage supper and he invited all his rich friends to come with him and nobody everybody was too busy they were too busy doing what what uh, that they had to do so he said, okay, fine. Go into the highways and the streets and the hedges and compel them and anyone who wills to come to the, to the feast. That's a presentation of what's happening. They got so preoccupied with obeying the letter of the law that they, they didn't have the heart of it. They were too busy doing the law to find God instead of finding God in the law. Now, I've met quite a few Jewish people who would, who would say that's not true. Jesus' teachings changed their lives whether they realize it or not. My friends, he preached this gospel to a Gentile people, an unworthy and an unclean people. Had on our sign there for a little while, we want the unwanted. Or the rejects. I can't remember the exact word I said. Basically, we want the outcasts. There it is. Thanks, Erica. 
We want the outcasts. That's who Jesus called when he called the Gentiles. We want the ones that weren't accepted. What a gospel that we preach. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? He's believed on in the world. This gospel's gone pretty far, hasn't it? From the east all the way over here. This word believed on is not talking about everybody in the world believes because we know that's not true. Not everybody in the world is saved. But this word believed on exercises this conviction. The gospel convicts the world. It's the truth. And sometimes, my friends, the truth hurts. It's hard. Hard to hear. The truth hurts. This gospel convicts the world. And my friends, the reason I got saved is because the gospel convicted me. I realized I'm a sinner. I had failed God. I realized where I stood before him. A helpless sinner in need of salvation without hope. Convicted me. And I found the truth. That Christ has been received in heaven with all authority and power in heaven and on earth. And guess what he's doing for you right now? Hebrews says he liveth ever to intercede on our behalf. You know what that is? Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying for your soul. He's praying for your peace. Your grace. He's praying, Lord, I know he messed up, but you know what? I'm going to convict him and we'll see what happens, Lord. Let me, let me see if I can talk to him. See if he'll change his ways. <laughs> he fell down again, Lord. Don't worry, we're going to pick him up. He's going to be all right. Our God is a patient God, and He loves us. Jesus Christ is interceding for you right now. He's pleading your case. I don't think that we realize the importance of that. If we think about how often we sin... How often we reject the words of God and do what we want to do versus what He says to do. 
How often do we do that? He's pleading with you. Come home. All we like sheep have gone astray. But he calls us back to himself. So my friends, I encourage you. If you're already saved, be a pillar. And you don't know how to become a pillar? Well, study this word. It'll show you. Ground yourself in the truth. You know, we can get preoccupied with a lot of things in life. But if we prioritize reading the word of God, as much as we prioritize everything else in our life, boy, everything else starts falling together. The things in our life that we thought were unsurmountable mountains, we realize are a little bit smaller. So I pray that you apply this to your life today. As we have a time, a, a song, as she's getting ready, I want to encourage you, I want to compel you to come before the Lord today, the throne room of God. I want to ask you a very important question. Is Jesus Christ your Lord, or is he just the Lord? You see, the king over there in France, or the prime minister, or whoever's in charge over there, doesn't really have that much effect on me, because he's not in charge of me. Putin doesn't have very much authority over me, if any, because he's not in charge of me. If Jesus is not your Lord, if he's not your master, he has no authority over you either. But here's the thing. Will you let him be your master? Will you let him be your Lord? He's not going to force you to be that because he loves you. He wants your love and your affection and your service voluntarily. So my friends, I, I stand before you with a choice. Will you serve him? Or will you serve yourself? Who is your Lord today? Make him the Lord of your life. He will give you strength to be a pillar where you at. He'll give you roots that are deeper than the surface. Study his word. Hold on. In the name of Jesus, as we have a time to pray, I want to ask you guys to come. If you need to pray in your seat, by all means do so. If you'd like more information, or if you'd like to pay us a visit, we're located at 1599 5th Avenue West in Springfield, Tennessee. Our phone number is 615-424-0427. We also have a website. Check us out at westendfwbchurch.com.